Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me is fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Uh, not too bad, Garrett. Uh, like you said in the, in the pre-show, uh, it's about the same old, same old as it is uh, every week. Uh, glad to be back for uh, another episode. Well, Robbie, it has finally come and it has finally gone, that being the 2022 NHL trading deadline. And we will get to the Penguins and their involvement in the 2022 trading deadline momentarily. But first, as we always do, we'll start out with a recap segment of the last couple of games the Penguins have played. And uh, due to the, the length of the mailbag this week and the main segment, this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a speed recap, but we'll talk about the Penguins here nonetheless. Uh, we'll start with the game on March 17th against the St. Louis Blues, a game, Robbie, that the Penguins pretty much dominated in in just about every facet. They really deserve the two points here out shooting the blues 45 to 25 however going 0 for 4 on the power play the blues go 0 for 5 uh both of these teams would need the shootout to decide who would get the extra point the extra point and take the two points here that would be the penguins the penguins would uh, be victorious in the shootout they beat the st louis blues by a score of three to two moving forward the Penguins would continue their road trip by heading out to Arizona and playing the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, the uh, the Coyotes, they proved to be a little bit of a challenge early on in the game, even towards the second period. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen gets the game, uh, gets the scoring going in the game at the 209 mark of the second period. Pittsburgh out to a 1-0 lead. However, Clayton Keller, one of the stars of the Coyotes, gets his 27th goal of the season to tie the game at the midway point of the second period. However, we go into the third period of play, and it was all Penguins as Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby score. Uh, Malkin gets his 11th goal of the season. Crosby scores his 21st and 22nd. Pittsburgh wins this one by a score of 4-1. to They had to work a little bit for this one, uh, but it ends up being a very comfortable victory for them on the score sheet. They outshoot the Coyotes 49-21, to go over three on the power play. Uh, win 49% of their faceoffs and have 25 hits in the 4-1 to one win over Arizona. March 22nd, the Penguins face off against a divisional rival in the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, another game in which the Penguins would win very comfortably. They win this one by a score of 5-1, to one, outshoot the Columbus Blue Jackets 37-27, to 27, win 61% of their faceoffs. The power play gets out a little bit of a rut. Uh, they go, the Penguins go one for four on the power play. They are out hit by the Jackets 26 to nine, but on the score sheet is where it matters most. The Penguins score four goals in the second period. Thanks to rede redeem Zahorna. Jake Gensel gets his 30th goal of the season. Brian Rust gets his 21st and Jake Gensel again, uh, gets his 31st goal of the season. By the end of the second period, it was C Pittsburgh four, Columbus one. And Evgeny Malkin would add a power play tally in the third period. Pittsburgh wins that one by a score of five to one. And finally, March 23rd against the Buffalo Sabres, the end of a back-to-back, -back, uh, back-to-back set. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, would be the loser in this case here, Robbie. Uh, they would lose in the shootout, a very uninspiring shootout for the Penguins. They lose to the Sabres 4-3 to three in the shootout. So, Robbie, they didn't have their best game here. They're actually outshot by the Sabres. Uh, it looked like it was pretty hard for the Penguins to find their gear. 
Uh, Buffalo outshoots Pittsburgh 33 to 26. Buffalo wins 52% of their faceoffs. Pittsburgh does go two for two on the power play, including a, a late power play marker from Chris Letang at 15.04 of the third period to tie the game at three. But uh, Pittsburgh would be the loser here in the shootout. Buffalo claims the two points again on the second half of a, of a back-to-back it, was, it looked like it was pretty difficult for the Penguins to find their groove and uh, for the Penguins to try and get up. It, I could see how some people could make the argument how it, it might be tough for them to get up against the Sabres at the end of March after the trade deadline when they know that they have tougher competition ahead, uh, namely being the, the New York Rangers uh, with that being their next game. But that was, uh, like I said, a little bit of a speed recap. Uh, Robbie, I'll, I'll hand it over to you as we as we uh, move to our main segment this week and our main segment focuses on the 2022 trade deadline. And uh, quite frankly, Robbie, let's, let's, let's discuss the, the trade deadline. The Penguins made two trades on deadline day, uh, acquiring defenseman Nathan Bolu from the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a conditional 2022 seventh round draft pick. Bolu is currently on injured reserve and he will remain on injured reserve. He is primarily going to be a depth defenseman probably come playoff time. However, it was right at the end of the finish line, right at the 3 p.m. Eastern deadline, where GM Ron Hextall made his biggest move of the day. That was acquiring forward Ricard Raquel from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for Zach Aston Reese, Dominic Simone, goaltending prospect Callie Klang and a 2022 second round draft pick. So Pittsburgh upgrades its its depth in the top six. Uh, early returns on Ricard Raquel have been very promising. He looked very noticeable in the game against the Sabres, especially in the overtime period against the Buffalo Sabres. So Robbie, I will, uh, I'll now hand it over to you. What do you make of the Penguins and their trade deadline in 2022? Do you think they won their, their their deadline with the acquisition of Ricard Raquel. And uh, also of note, before I hand it over to you, Robbie, Ron Hextall, it was important to him. He said multiple times that he wanted to keep all of his top prospects and his 2022 first round draft pick, which he uh, which he does. He he didn't have to trade away Nathan Legere or Sam Poulin or Pierre Olivier Joseph. He gets to keep that 2022 first rounder and improves the scoring uh, and improves really the overall nature of the top six with a player like Raquel's stat, uh, status. So, uh, Robbie, I'll hand it over to you. Do you like what the Penguins did uh, at the deadline? And what kind of grade would you give Ron Hextall and company for their performance on deadline day? To start out, you got to give them at least a B plus, maybe even an A minus. I think, and if you're feeling really uh, uh, generous, maybe even an A, because I think, I mean, overall they did just about everything that you expected going in. Uh, you got a depth, you got some scoring depth with Ricard Raquel. Uh, Bellu, I mean, he's probably not going to play at all, at least not. In, I mean, there's just so many guys in front of him, it would take uh, an injury, injury catastrophe, so... I mean, if he does play, then he's there for depth. But and the big move that we're going to talk about is obviously the acquisition of Ricard Raquel, which came in basically right at the deadline. Uh, they gave up, like you said, Dom Simone and Zach Aston Reese uh, and a pick uh, to get him. So I, it wasn't. It was a fairly cost-effective move. Uh, keeping that first-round pick was definitely one A on. 
Hextall's wish list when it came to what to give up. Uh, that was at the bottom of the list of trying to, uh, of things he wanted to give up. And then uh, he kept everybody in Wilkes-Barre, basically. No Pierre Olivia Joseph, no John Marino, no Marcus Pedersen. I understand those last two guys aren't necessarily prospects, so they've been in the NHL for so long. But those were names that were thrown around uh, at the uh, leading up to the trade deadline that could possibly be moved. Uh, Sam Poulin, Nathan Legere, um, all those uh, prospects in, in Wilkes-Barre uh, will remain there because Ron Hexall didn't have to part with them uh, to get the guy he wanted and to get a guy that's going to uh, be a nice little addition to the Penguins. So, I mean, overall, he did everything that I think you could want. We, I know in the last couple weeks and months, we talked about a backup goalie. But there was really no uh, smoke uh, to create any fire uh, in the lead-up to this deadline revolving a backup goalie for the Penguins. So uh, I think overall he must have been happy with that situation. Uh, He obviously figured they needed depth scoring, and he went out and got it. So uh, he made a point of it. He went and got the job done, even though for most of the day it looked like nothing was going to happen. It looked like the Penguins were going to maybe uh, rest on their laurels and uh, go with what they had. but. They made the move, and uh, Ricard Raquel is now Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, Anaheim eats some some salary to make it all work cap-wise. The Penguins do un- do lose Dom Simone and Zach Aston-Reese. Uh, Zach Aston-Reese, who's a buzzsaw defensively, but th- th- they had so much depth at the bottom of their lineup, so sometimes you have to deal from your depth, your depth and that's what they did. Uh, but most importantly, held on to that 2022 first-round pick. Uh, didn't give up anything there, so they will assuming they don't make a trade from after the playoffs are over till the trade deadline to bring someone in, you would assume the Penguins will be picking in the first round this year. And again, all the prospects, even though we lamented on the Penguin system isn't very good, the prospects are still there for maybe another move uh, down the road uh, next season or in the off season, whatever they determine is the right thing to do. So I think that, I mean, aside from, the goaltending, which we talked about uh, at length many times on this podcast. Uh, the other big thing was the depth scoring and adding another winger. And Ron Hexel went out and did that and did it at a very, uh, a very affordable price for, uh, for the Penguins. So overall, I'd give him at lowest, like a A minus B plus. Um, and maybe that can go if Ricard Raquel gets on a heater here at the end of the season into the playoffs and, helps carry the Penguins uh, on a deep run. Maybe we bump that up to an AA+. So, yeah, I think overall good marks for uh, the front office, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke on this deadline, got the pieces they needed, didn't give up anything major, and improved the team. I agree with you, Robbie. You know, there was a lot of chatter, especially here on the podcast, there was a lot of chatter with the futures of Marcus Pedersen, John Marino, Casey DeSmith, like you mentioned, and in the end, Hextall and Sullivan and everyone involved with making those decisions, uh, they they have their they have their faith in the really the current roster, and that's something that I remember Brian Burke saying publicly. If they weren't going to make a lot of moves, which obviously they end up making that that minor move for the depth defenseman and Raquel, 
they really, and I have to, you have to believe them and take them at their word at this point. They like what their roster comprises of. They, they, they obviously have faith in, in DeSmith and ha- having the ability for him to turn his season around. They have faith in Marino being an anchor, uh, supposedly an anchor on that defensive blue line for the next several seasons and possibly the same thing for Pedersen. Again, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, in the offseason after, after the Stanley Cup has been awarded. The Penguins are going to have some very interesting moves to make with regard to how close they are to the salary cap and the extensions with Brian Rust and Latang and Malkin. Could a guy like Zucker or Pedersen or Marino still be traded? Or e- even Robbie, a name that I've seen floated around on Twitter now over the last couple of games has been Brian Dumoulin. And Dumoulin has, has not looked like his normal self. Now, whether he's fighting injury or or if this is the beginning of a downward swing from the aging curve, again, that's something that we'll have to watch uh, as the season continues to play out and we get into the playoffs. But uh, the Penguins will obviously have some interesting moves to make uh, in the offseason with regard to the salary cap. So we'll see what happens and what direction Ron Hextall takes. But again, those are decisions and conversations to have for later on in the summer. Right now, like I said, uh, like I said, I agree with you, Robbie. Raquel is a tremendous addition to the top nine, probably going to be slotted uh, alongside Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. We'll see how Mike Sullivan likes to uh, flip-flop or rotate and see what can create the most chemistry for his team. But yes, I have to give high marks for for Hextall for being able to keep that first rounder, keeping all of the, the prospects that the Penguins prize and adding a, a very solid contributor in Ricard Raquel. So uh, as we continue to monitor Raquel's presence, as he continues to adjust to the Penguin system, uh, that'll be something to watch as we get closer and closer. Now with the trade deadline in the rearview mirror, the, the next stop on the tour is the, the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the Penguins are just playing for positioning at this point, as is the rest of the Eastern Conference. So that that's really the next big thing to look forward to is the start of the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. So we will uh, keep you posted on that over at pensburg.com and here on the Pensburg podcast as well. But now, Robbie, it is time for the mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to the mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard me say at the top of the show that we had some technical difficulties with Skype, which is uh, how we record our podcast here with Robbie and myself. And as we record this one tonight on the evening of March 24th, uh, I have to cross my fingers that we don't have the same technical malfunctions. Uh, Obviously, we did not have a a mailbag last week. So the people who submitted mailbag questions last week, I've included as many of them as I could in here this week, Uh, many of them that were not as time relevant or as time sensitive that had to relate to the trading deadline, which has obviously since passed. So, Robbie, uh, like always, you will get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one comes from Brian, uh, and this was a question from last week that you obviously didn't get to hear, but Brian still wants to know, do you think Crosby will win a Selkie before he retires? I'll say the same thing as I said last week when I answered this question originally and it didn't uh, seem to record or whatever the issue was. But I think he's past the point in his career now where he can win a Selkie. 
uh, though his defensive game remains uh, very strong, and it's always been kind of unfair to Crosby because so much attention has always been paid to his offensive game that he never got serious consideration for uh, the Selkie Trophy. And again, he went he would have gone he went up against guys like Datsuk and Patrice Bergeron, so always very strong uh, competition for this trophy. And Crosby would have had to get past them guys. And were the, the fact that he was never even a finalist should really tell you uh, something about. Um, how people are voting on these awards because I think Crosby, when it's all said and done, and maybe even now, is probably the greatest 200-foot player in uh, in the history of the game. He just does everything so well at both ends, and not enough attention has ever been paid to uh, his defensive game outside of here in Pittsburgh. And it took until he was in his 30s before every before people really started talking about it. Hey, this guy should have been a Selkie finalist. He should qualify for – he should be high on the Selkie voting, uh, whatever the case is. But, unfortunately, so much was put on his offensive game that he never really got um, the credit he deserved for his defensive prowess. So, uh, is he ever going to win a Selkie? I really don't think so. Um, did he deserve one or at least a finalist nomination at some point? I would go absolutely. Uh, question number two from Brian. Brian, this is another one from last week that – uh, we answered but did not get into the uh, final episode because of recording issues. Um, what's more scary for opposing players to see? Uh, angry Gino, Sid down to one knee, or Paul Coffey coming off the rush? Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was my question to answer last week, and I'll answer it again. Uh, with me being a, a, a younger Penguin fan and obviously not seeing Paul Coffey play, um, all I really have to go off of based on actual experiences are uh, what we call angry Gino and when Sid goes down to one knee to try and score. And uh, I forget exactly what my answer was last week. I, I, I think I might have said angry Gino. But looking at this question again and, and thinking about it, uh, e- even though Paul Coffey obviously has, has built a reputation, a hall of reputation for smooth skating offense, when when Crosby goes down to one knee, you know uh, when you you know Crosby is trying to, uh, with all of his insane uh, accuracy, when the puck when the puck comes off his stick, when he goes down to one knee, he means business. The same thing for Evgeny Malkin. Uh, I think I used an example uh, last week when we recorded. I think it was in the game against the St. Louis Blues. Evgeny Malkin had uh, a breakaway which led to a goal. And uh, that was kickstarted in the Penguins. I think it was the Penguins defensive zone or as they were entering the neutral zone, something or someone irritated Malkin. He was able to steal the puck and get sprung on a breakaway and end up scoring a goal. And that was just a classic example of angry Gino. When, when Malkin is focused, and I'm not one of those people in Pittsburgh that seems to think Malkin is lazy or has a, a focus problem, but when, when Malkin is in the zone, much like Crosby, and he is on a mission, uh, he's one of the most dominant players in the game. But for the sake of your question, Brian, what is more scary for opposing players to see? Uh, I think angry Gino, just all things considered, I- I'll go with angry Gino, just knowing what, what he can do when he is 100% focused. He may not have the, the wheels like he did uh, five or 10 years ago, obviously, when he was younger, but get him on the power play and feed him those one-timers on the power play and watch the puck rip the back of the net. That, that's also a, just a, a beautiful sight to behold as a Penguin fan. Question number three comes from Cole Delvecchio. 
Robbie, are there any Penguins you were expecting to see moved at the deadline that did not get moved? Anyone that you would have liked to see traded? Um, I don't know if anybody expected to move. I thought there was guys that could be moved, guys like a Kasperi Kapanen, uh, Casey Smith, uh, depending on what they thought of the goaltending situation. Uh, Marcus Pedersen and John Marino were both names floating around there. So not that I expected it to be moved, but I mean, always thinking that it could be a possibility. Uh, I think that, though, that I think it's clear that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke were very happy with the team they had um, and went out and made the move they thought was necessary uh, to get the right piece, and they did so for a very cost-effective price. So, um, again, I'm not one that if the right trade would come along, I wouldn't have been balking at uh, moving a first-round draft pick or one of a guy like... Uh, Sam Poulin or one of the prospects down there. But um, that trade, I mean, there was nothing really out there that would have um, called for that type of uh, price to be paid. So uh, nobody really that I expected uh, to be moved. I just thought there was possibilities of guys be moved, uh, especially like a Kapanen or uh, Pedersen to clear some space if the contract they were bringing in was uh, a little uh, too much with the salary cap situation. So um, overall, no. Um, I think that I'm very happy with um, nobody really moving uh, for what they got. Uh, again, this would have been different if they were talking for a real a legit like top-line player, but they went out and got the piece they needed and did so at, I think, a more than fair price. So, uh, yeah, that's where I stand on that. Nobody really I expected to be traded uh, got traded because I didn't really expect anyone to be traded, at least not from the NHL squad. Um, so that's where I kind of stand on that. Uh, question number four comes from Snail. Um, despite ins- uncertainty in Latang's next contract and whether it is in Pittsburgh or not, let's assume he stays. With Ruido signed, who then, in your opinion, is looking like they're more expendable on the right side of the Penguins' defense? John Marino or Mark Friedman? Uh, this question was uh, asked last week before the trade deadline. Now that the trade deadline has passed, uh, I believe Fre- Mark Friedman has since signed a two-year extension with the Penguins, a very, very uh, modest amount. I think it's eight hundred or eight hundred fifty thousand. Uh, it's a two-year one-way contract. So, but maybe now with Friedman signed, maybe this question that was posed last week takes on a little bit of a different meaning. Uh, I- I'm not saying the Penguins are in 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 a in a hurry to try and trade John Marino and shed his his salary, which I believe is four million or four point four million around there somewhere. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier, the Penguins are going to have decisions to make uh, with regard to their salary cap if they want to try and re-sign Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. Possibly a name like John Marino could be thrown out there as saying, "Hey, we have nothing against you. It's just we have other." other moves we'd like to make with our salary cap. And we're, you know, we're limited. This is just the business move. Again, we have nothing against you, but Hey, uh, it's just part of the business. Another name that came to mind was Jason Zucker, who I believe is signed through the end of next season. Uh, I think if you were to get his contract off the books through a buyout or possibly through a trade, that's how you can free up that cap space as well. But going back to the original question, who is more expendable? Um, Possibly Friedman, based on the fact that he's not making a whole lot of money. I mean, he's making under a million dollars for the next two years. But if you're looking to trade John Marino 
uh, for salary cap purposes, you might be able to get a, a decent return uh, for a, a player of Marino's stature being only 23, 24 years old and largely playing top four minutes. So uh, you could argue Marino based on what he's done in his short stint here in Pittsburgh. Uh, question number five comes from Brendan. How bad is this TNT show in with with Brendan referring to the NHL on TNT? It feels like a bad version of Monday Night Football. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't really watch much of the intermission stuff uh, because I, I usually just go do something else uh, when that when it comes on. So I don't really pay that much attention to it. Um, so I can't give a I guess true. Uh, take on the matter i've heard many complaints of it though um yeah so i mean i thought the game on thursday or not thursday night, wednesday night against the sabers was on uh, the on-air production the in-game production was fine but i mean i guess the the intermission stuff is to each their own i know that they have quite a cast of characters uh, on there and i have seen some clips and they've been gen genuinely funny clips but I think when you look at the cast they have, I was very suspect on bringing Wayne Gretzky on, not because I think he's a bad analyst or anything. I just don't think he has the the charisma and the personality to uh, work with what they had. I mean, I love Liam McHugh. Uh, awesome they brought him over from NBC. Liam McHugh is top-notch uh, just in sports in general. If you've ever seen him do Olympic coverage with NBC, he's been on um, Premier League mornings with um, – uh, uh, on NBC w when he was still with them. He's a fantastic uh, in-studio host, so nothing against um, him at all. So it's not it's not Liam McHugh, uh, but again, it's not everybody. That, that crew is not everybody's taste, but I think they try too hard to be like the TNT basketball crew with um, um, Charles Barkley and Shaq and um, all those guys. I think he tries to be too much like that show and it's just maybe it's going to take some time to get that chemistry down because i mean you see clips from that show popping up on social media all the time and it's really good stuff but i mean yeah i guess it's it's more of a taste thing if you like it you like it if you don't you don't uh but i don't hold too much against tnt for uh trying to replicate the success they've had with uh, the nba crew it just maybe take some time to get that rolling and to find that right chemistry uh, question number six, also from Brendan. Uh, should we have moved Pedersen given the overvaluation of the D market, meaning defenseman market? Yeah, that's a really good question. Looking back at the trade deadline uh, this past week uh, and looking at how crazy some of the prices were for, for players, notably Ben Sherratt what was traded for a first-round pick. And a, a lot of people, especially in the analytic community, uh, noticing that Sherratt's uh, advanced advanced metrics really weren't all that great, certainly not worthy of a first-round pick. But again, those are the prices that general managers were paying to have these players on their roster for their playoff pushes. Uh, I don't know if Mark and Pe Marcus Pedersen was was talked about or discussed. I'm obviously not in the room with, with Hextall and company. Um, I... I don't know what Pedersen's worth really would have been. Then again, if, if Ben Sherratt can fetch, fetch a, a first round pick, who knows what a 25 year old, uh, a 25 year old two way defenseman like Pedersen would have got you had he been involved in serious negotiations. Uh, Pedersen, 
that's another name going back to the last question I was talking about with relation to the salary cap. Pedersen also makes a little over $4 million uh, towards the salary cap. So that could be another contract that they look at and see, hey, it's just business. We have other players that we'd like to sign to contract extensions. And uh, Pedersen, you just happen to be the odd man out given given uh, the depth that they have, especially on uh, with their left-handed defensemen. Uh, I mean, P.O. P.O. Joseph isn't even in the starting lineup. He's still fluctuating between Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre. And uh, many people are calling to see what Joseph has. I mean, he's already 23 and he's had brief glimpses in the NHL. So could a Pedersen be moved in the offseason and P.O. Joseph finally get that permanent spot in the Penguins defense? It's definitely a possibility. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Brendan, those, those trade asking prices for defensemen at, at this year's deadline were astronomical. That was, it was just absolutely crazy to see. Question number seven, the last question of the day for you, Robbie, also comes from Brendan. Brian Rust has been getting loads of penalty kill time lately. Do you think that the ability to throw him in that spot made Zach Aston Reese disposable? This also frees up the Penguins to do the uh, the Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin combination ships without taking major time away from Brian Rust. So, yes. Uh, well, I think a lot of things made Zach Astorini's disposal. It wasn't just this because one, Brian Rust has killed penalties in the past. He's he's not. It's not like they were just uh, throwing him out there to see what happened. He has killed penalties in the past. Obviously, doesn't do as much now because of. Uh, what goes into that and his scoring ability makes him uh, a little too valuable to necessarily throw out there on the penalty kill when you're asked to give up the body and you can take a chance um, at getting dinged up and out of the lineup. But I mean, a lot of things went into Zach Aston Reese's getting moved because again, when you have that much depth, you can deal from that. And they did. That's why, I mean, that's why Zach Aston Reese is on the way out. He does provide good defensive skills. He's a great penalty killer. Uh, but overall, he probably wasn't coming back next year anyway. So, it was, yeah, that was a lot of factors went into Zach Aston Reese being um, being able to, to be disposable at the trade deadline. Uh, Brian Rust, um, again, experience killing penalties. But one thing that I think is maybe even more important is his speed and his game makes him so valuable because he can take chances going up ice the other way shorthanded. And he had a really good chance against Buffalo that he almost cashed in on shorthanded. He just has such a unique game that uh, when he's out there, the other team has to be very, very cautious about how they treat the puck because if it gets away from them, the next thing you know, he's going the other way and he's too hard to catch because he's just so fast. So I think overall, he's... Uh, he, He's just a good penalty killer because of everything he brings to uh, to the unit. He's obviously out there to fill in for Zach Aston Reese now, and he's done a great job, but he has experience at it. He has the tools to make himself a threat shorthanded. So I think um, while Zach Aston Reese has been moved and a spot has opened up on the penalty kill, I think when you look at the him being moved out of the to Anaheim in the Raquel trade, there's a lot of factors uh, going into why that happened is not just um, just because Brian Russ was so good at killing penalties that Zach Aston Reese was expendable. I really don't think that got into the thought process as well because Brian Rust um, just brings such a unique uh, skill attribute skill attributes uh, to the penalty kill that Zach Aston Reese doesn't. Uh, no, no, uh, uh, nothing against 
Zach Aston Reese in that respect. Uh, I just think that it's a very complex reasons that he got moved, uh, that not being one of them. But um, Brian Russ has definitely done a great job uh, filling that role since uh, Aston Reese left town. Well, Robbie, that will wrap up the mailbag segment. And in turn, that will wrap up this edition of the Pensburg podcast. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, now the trade deadline is officially in the rearview mirror and all eyes are starting to starting to turn towards the end of the regular season and the beginning of the postseason. While the Penguins still have a little bit of regular season hockey left to play uh, with the weather getting nicer and warmer here in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, all eyes are starting to get to, to turn the calendar and we're starting to get that springtime playoff hockey itch. And that's definitely what we're going to be focusing on over the next couple of weeks leading into the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs. But for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Again, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Pensburg podcast. And we will catch you all right back here next week. <laughs>